Hello. All right. Great. Uh, welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm Kenny White, and they let me be the Shakopee campus pastor at least today. So uh, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. I especially wanted to thank the people who came early who were kind enough to fill in the back row first and then allow people to sit up front later. That was sweet. Um, also, for those of you who are um, new, we want to encourage you. We have a Connect card, and so on that Connect card, you can fill that out. We want to help you to better connect with what is happening at Friendship, and not just that, but also we want to pray for you and be a blessing. So on the back side of that Connect card, you can let us know how we can be praying for you, how we can be lifting you up, how we can be celebrating God's victories with you. Uh, with that with that in mind, just so you know, uh, during the offering is the time where you can place that in uh, in the offering and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be praying. All right. Sorry, I'm a little uh, flustered since my microphone isn't working right and I have two in my hand and don't know what to do. Uh, put it in my pocket? Okay, thanks. Um, wow, that's helpful. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? One of the things that's happening right now over in Friar Lake is that there are uh, child dedications. Child dedication is a time uh, where our church comes together and families will dedicate their children to the Lord. And more specifically, what they're saying is, we're going to do everything we can to help lead our child to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Additionally, the church is saying, we are joining families in this endeavor. We are joining you in prayer, and we're going to do all we can to help lead your child to the Lord, but also to equip you as you lead your child to the Lord. So uh, it's a special time. We're going to go ahead and pull up some pictures. And as we pull up those pictures of those kids who are being dedicated, I want to encourage you and ask you to look at uh, the, uh, the verses uh, off to the side. So I think those slides are coming. There they are. So, yeah, that's right. Every time you see a new baby face, you should say, ah. And that will be a sign that, yes, indeed, we are going to be praying for this family. So, ah, there you go. Good try. We'll do better. Ah, there you go. Jeremiah 29, 11 uh, is Ruthie's verse. Go ahead. And Carter's on Colossians 1, 9, and 10. Great. And Cash... That kid smiles. It's ear to ear. I mean, there's everything on his face is smiling. Second Thessalonians. And Eleanor with Matthew 6.33. Yes. Everett and, yep, and Wesley. Yeah, would you join me as we pray for these families? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask, oh Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up in all we do and say. We are so thankful um, for your work in our lives. We're so thankful for uh, the ministry that you have given us and allowed us, uh, trusted us with. Help us to be a blessing to you. And we especially think of these families right now who are, um, who are dedicating their children to you in a formal way. And Lord, we would just receive that now, recognizing that we, in action, want to lead these children to the Lord with words, want to lead these children and families to the Lord. 
And Lord, in fellowship, we want to lead these children and families to the Lord. So help us to do that for your good glory. We love you, almighty God. We thank you and praise you and ask that you would be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today is a volunteer Sunday, and uh, we have a special video that we want to share with you now. We do a lot of ministry here at Friendship Church, from Sunday mornings to Wednesday nights to all our events. And we wouldn't be able to do ministry well if it wasn't for our faithful volunteers. We celebrate God working through you to love, live, and serve like Jesus. Whether you serve in the spotlight or behind the scenes, we would like to recognize you to show our gratitude for your service. The administrative ministry volunteers are those that handle the behind the scenes office functions, to serving on the various committees we have. Adult ministry volunteers include life group leaders, men's and women's ministry leaders, as well as seminar and core discipleship leaders. Care ministry volunteers exist to comfort those with prayer and care through the healing power of Jesus. Connections and hospitality volunteers include greeters, ushers, welcome center hosts, communion team, and bread bakers. Facility volunteers help with maintenance, mowing, painting, and cleaning of our beautiful buildings. Family ministry volunteers are there in the nursery, Sunday school rooms, and D groups, shaping kids and youth to follow Christ. Kitchen ministry prepares meals throughout the week, as well as serve coffee on Sunday mornings. Missions ministry volunteers serve on the missions committee and coordinate Friendship Church mission trips. Outreach ministries include Acts of Friendship and Second Harvest volunteers. They donate their time and skill to those in need in our community. Worship ministry involves those leading worship on Sunday mornings through singing and playing music on stage, and those that support the worship through sound, camera, and pro presenter. There are 650 volunteers that serve at Friendship Church, and the impact you have made to further God's kingdom is tremendous. Praise God for the talents that he has given you to serve his church. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you to all of our adult ministry volunteers, those who serve on acts of friendship projects and as leaders, those who serve as life group leaders, those who work with our men's ministry, those who work with relational evangelism, those who work and volunteer with Second Harvest. We thank you for everything that you are doing. Hey volunteers, just wanna say thank you for all the work you do to keep our campuses in shape. Thank you for all your painting, lawn mowers, all the little things you do around here just to keep our campuses looking great. Thank you. Thank you to the volunteers who wake up early on Sunday mornings and help us create welcoming environments to worship in. Thank you also to the women who plan wonderful events and lead Bible studies that bring us closer to the Lord. Thank you everyone for who serves in the kitchen and the coffee bar. We really appreciate it. Hey, worship ministry. Thank you to all of you who serve in our band, vocals, soundboard, media, and even camera. Uh, and our worship leaders as well. Super thankful for all that you do, and it's an honor and a privilege to be serving and leading alongside you. I just wanna thank all the care volunteers at our church. Our ministry is dependent on showing care, and I wanna thank all those that are involved in the prayer ministry, which are many of you, as well as Celebrate Recovery, Marriage Mentoring, Grief Share, and Divorce Care. Thank you so very much. We just want to thank all of our children's ministry volunteers. Whether you are a Sunday morning volunteer or a Wednesday night Awana volunteer, we appreciate everything that you do. You are amazing and we celebrate you today. Thank you. Many thanks to our volunteers who serve in administrative and governance functions throughout the year. 
from covering at the front desk to our board of trustees, our elders, nominating committee and missions committee. We could not do what we do without your help and support. So thank you for loving, living, and serving like Jesus. To all of you at Friendship Church who work with our youth, I cannot thank you enough. Our faithful D Group leaders, week in and week out, investing in the next generation, to people coming on fall retreat, serving at Palooza, the many hands that work with and invest in our youth, thank you. You understand the importance of this critical life stage and the, the difference that you're making. I wanna take just a moment and thank all of our volunteers. You've done an amazing job serving the Lord and blessing other people, and we appreciate you and we love you. God bless you. Thank you to all of our volunteers for all you do. Uh, the Lord uses you in order to make all that we do work. Thank you, volunteers! All right. Oh, hey, there we are. Yeah, we do appreciate our volunteers. It, it's amazing to me how many people over the course of the, an entire year uh, serve at Friendship. Over 600 people at Friendship Church. And when you consider that on a Sunday, there's roughly 800 people in service, that's pretty significant. Uh, that's an amazing thing. On any given Sunday, there are 50 volunteers who are working to help to make things go smoothly here, who are loving, living, and serving like Jesus. And that's a pretty, pretty amazing thing that we get to experience. So if you are a volunteer at Friendship, we are not trying to embarrass you, but we do want to give honor where honor is due, and we want to pray over you right now. So if you would be willing to stand up, if you have volunteered over the course of this last year in any area, even if it was one time, that is great. Can we first of all give them a hand? Yeah, thank you all. God bless you, friends. All right, stay standing. I want to pray a blessing over you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for these volunteers. We thank you for what you have done in their lives. And I, I thank you, Lord, for the early mornings where they sacrificially have come in to serve you and to serve others. I, I thank you, Lord, for the late nights where they have had long days put in uh, many hours, and then have come in to serve you and to care for your church, Lord. Uh, it's just an amazing uh, reality that we live in, and I am so thankful for the men and women who serve you here at Friendship. Lord, I would ask that you would strengthen them, encourage them, use these ministries in specific ways to extend both your grace and your mercy. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, you may be seated. And as you're seated, I want to let you know you are going to need a piece of paper and a pen or, and or, uh, your device, whether that's your phone uh, or your iPad, whatever you got. Uh, you're going to need that at some point in our time together. Actually, in four specific points in our time together. So 
uh, with that in mind, let's just jump right in. Many of you have heard the illustration that I'm about to share. It's an illustration uh, with the blind men describing what an elephant is. Of course, never having any interaction or knowing what an elephant was, they were taken to this elephant, and one of them grabbed a hold of the, the elephant's trunk, and in his description said, an elephant is snake-like because all his perspective allowed for was his trunk. The other blind man got one of his legs, and as he touched his legs, he touched all the way down to the ground. It's firm and strong. And he said, this elephant is much like a tree, firm and strong and unmovable. Well, both of them had perspectives that were true, but they were perspectives. It was not complete and I would say to us today, as we are about to jump into Mark chapter 8, that that's an important piece for us to understand, that we perceive things in part because of experience. When we experience something, we, we go, okay, uh, I recognize that the last time I had this experience with this thing or person, uh, this happened. And we build on that understanding. But then when we talk about understanding, we, we have something um, a little bit different. It's not just based on uh, perspective. It's not just based on past experiences, but rather it, it graduates into a relationship. St. Gregory of Nyssa said this, that to understand God is to engage in relationship with God. We will never know the depths of who he is, but understanding what we can understand is based on a relationship. So today, we're going to work through Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21, and as we work through this passage, we're going to keep this in mind. How can we perceive and understand? I share that with you because uh, this is a spiritual matter. We're going to engage a little bit in intellectual discussion, but that's not the full extent of what should happen together today. We're asking that the Spirit of God would work in us and through us in a way that would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to him in special ways. What I'm saying is that Today's message is as much embracing or understanding some spiritual matters as it is understanding intellectual uh, information. So with that in mind, let's jump right in to Mark chapter 8. As we jump into Mark chapter 8, we want to recognize that Jesus is our provider. We're going to see Jesus as our provider in this passage. It's an important note. Many of us, and especially uh, those of us who are our husbands, um, who are fathers, we often think men in terms of being the provider in our home. And it is absolutely true that God uses us in those roles for that reason. But we never, we can never, ever, ever miss the fact that it is God himself who is our provider. That anything that we provide is on loan from God himself. And so we're going to see in this passage that Jesus is our provider. It's important to recognize that because Jesus, as we have been walking through Mark chapter 8, we have seen him as the son of God, who is the creator, who is the one who has authority over everything. 
We've seen him have authority over winds and waves. We've seen him have authority over the sick and disease. We've seen him have authority over demons. We've seen him have authority over death itself. That Jesus, when he speaks, he clearly has authority over all of those things. And the invitation for Mark is an invitation into the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is reigned and ruled by Jesus and whose provision is unending. You can't exhaust it. Uh, Jesus doesn't run out of things and stuff he can always provide. He doesn't go, oh, I only had enough salvation for just a few people, not enough for you. Uh, he doesn't say, oh, I, I, I didn't have enough uh, uh, spiritual gifts to go around. You don't get one. Uh, he's inexhaustible, uh, meaning his kingdom always has provision. And we're going to see that in this passage. And what we'll do is uh, we'll start in verse 1 and just walk through it together. I hope that's okay because that's what we're going to do. Let's jump in. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Uh, don't, don't miss what's happened here. <laughs> They have been following and listening and watching Jesus for three days. Some of them perhaps even brought stuff to eat, but most of that has been exhausted. They have run out. And now what? Well, what we see is something specific about Jesus. He has compassion on the crowd. Like this, this God who came in the flesh, uh, the one who pitched his tent and dwelt among us, this God that we're talking about, this Jesus, uh, he had compassion on people. He didn't go, tough, I guess you better plan better next time, right? Better luck next time. Jesus had compassion. The word that's used here is an emotional draw. He's emotionally drawn to these people who have been following him and, and motivated from this emotional draw, this care he is going to provide. He's going to care for them. Let's keep going. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Uh, I remember my dad in the last chapter of his life, he, he got really sick. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, just, we just couldn't figure it out. It didn't make sense why he was so sick. Why he was, like, he was fine the day before, but this day he wasn't okay and he fell down and he couldn't get back up and his mind was very cloudy and it, it was a scary moment. And we found out that he was just dehydrated. Even dehydration can take you to some bad places. These people are going without food, Presumably, they're going without water. Jesus recognizes that this could be a really bad thing really quick. And he puts his disciples in a place of tension. What will they do? How are the disciples going to respond to this need that is presented? And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Well, let's not forget that a few chapters earlier, Jesus fed the 5,000 plus their families. Uh, let's not forget that. But let's also look at this passage. Uh, 
How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Has there ever been a place in history where the people walked in the wilderness and didn't have food and God miraculously provided for them? Absolutely. You might be thinking of Exodus chapter 16 where God provides manna for the people. They have, with a mighty hand, been brought out of Egypt and they're being sent into the promised land. But in this interim phase is a desolate place, a wilderness that they have to walk through. And in this wilderness, nothing grows. (laughs) There's just very little to have there for a nation. And God miraculously provides for them manna. It's a bread from heaven. And they're asking, uh, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place. How could that be? Mm, Jesus might be thinking, I think I remember something about this. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd there's, there's a lot happening in this passage. It's really easy to read it and just overlook some things, but, but let's, let's consider this for a second. We have 4,000 people there. 4,000 people. That's a few more than are in this room right now. And they have seven loaves of bread. And we're going to find out two fish. Seven loaves of bread and two fish. That wouldn't be enough for this room, let alone... 4,000 people. Hmm. So what does Jesus do? Better luck next time, guys. Plan ahead. No, he takes what they offer him and he blesses it. He gives thanks. The word that's used there is the same phrase that Jesus uses when he's with his disciples for the the institution of communion, the Lord's Supper. Jesus gives thanks. Seven loaves of bread, Lord, and you are our provider. There appears to not be enough here, Lord, but but maybe there is. And sometimes we come into these places where we think our not enough is not enough, and we don't factor in God. And God says, Well, actually, your not enough is enough, and thank me for it. And in those spaces where we thank the Lord, watch him multiply. Watch him multiply. And that's exactly what happens in this place. We take what we have, we offer it to Jesus. Jesus blesses it. He gives thanks and it multiplies. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. Let's just pause there. And they ate and we're satisfied. Well, we don't know if that is just a little speck that they, probably not. They had enough. 
and they were satisfied. Seven loaves and two fish and 4,000 people were satisfied because something happens when we offer what we have to the Lord and we give thanks for those things that God has this ability to multiply it. In this situation, we're clearly talking about food, but it can be much more than that. In those places where we feel empty and drained, in those desolate places, God can show up. And as we offer him those things that we have, he has a way of making something out of nothing that our not enough suddenly becomes enough because in his kingdom he's king whose kingdom will we walk in let's uh, this is the spot where I'd like you to take out a piece of paper or your device and here's what I'd like you to do I would like you to schedule a time for you and Jesus about 15 minutes it can be longer you might want longer but 15 minutes, put it in your calendar right now. I'm going to give you a moment during our sermon right now to put a Jesus time, a Jesus date in your calendar. 15 minutes. We'll be talking about it throughout our time. And at the end, we'll put it all together. 15 minutes in your calendar. By the way, uh, mine is tonight at 9 o'clock. Tonight at 9 o'clock is when, I'm plan when I've scheduled this time. I want to encourage you to put a time down. If you didn't bring your device with you, write it down on a piece of paper. And you'll see, you'll see where we're going with that. I'll, I'll be careful here. Getting ahead of myself. Ooh, I'm so excited. Principle two, guard against unbelief. So Jesus meets this group and he provides by giving thanks and blessing uh, and the people eat and are satisfied. And they walk away uh, with baskets of food. And then they leave. And watch what happens. The very people who should have eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to understand miss the Christ. They miss him. They have this expectation that Jesus is going to look and act a certain way that he doesn't. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. Seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. I should pause there because what they're doing on the outside looking in is exactly what the Pharisees should be doing. They should be going to anybody who claims to be the Messiah and ask for proof. There should be authentication that you are who you say you are. It's one of the reasons that I love apologetics so much because there should be proof. If there is somebody who claimed to be God, who said that he didn't die, who rose from the grave, there should be proof somewhere. We should have some sort of eyewitness account. Turns out we do. That there is a God who came in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins, conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, gives life to anybody who would call on him, and we have an account of that. These Pharisees on the outside looking in are doing what they should be doing, what we all should be doing. Authenticate that this is true, that it's accurate, that it's real. But there's a tip of the hand here. Mark is letting us see the cards of the Pharisees. Recognizing that earlier in Mark, these Pharisees came to Jesus saying that uh, there was a demon in him. These Pharisees are the ones who doubted that he is the Christ. Remember that in Nazareth, it was the religious leaders that kept Jesus from doing everything that he had in mind. And so uh, the hand is tipped and we start to see that they're saying with their words they want to sign but it doesn't matter what that sign is because they're not going to believe. 
How do we know that? Well, we know that because Jesus just fed the 4,000 with some bread and some fish, which wasn't enough. We know that because Jesus raised a girl from the dead. We know that because Jesus healed a woman who had an issue of blood. We, we know that because Jesus uh, commanded demons out of a man. We know that because Jesus calmed the winds and the waves and so on and so on, and it's not enough. And so in verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, what, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Now, this, the, the term this generation is a euphemism. It was used popularly to refer to Israel. Jesus is saying, Israel, at this time, you're not going to get an additional sign. At least that's how Mark clarifies it, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what he gives us. The Gospels tell us that there will be a sign of Jonah where Jesus is, uh, is dead for three days and comes back to life. But in, in Mark, we see this, uh, this telling of the story, this narrative. In verse 13, and he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. The very people who should believe don't. They, they've witnessed it, and they've seen people who have witnessed it, and they don't believe. And you're going to watch in this next section how their unbelief spills over even onto Jesus' own disciples. And so we have to be careful, and we have to be very careful. It reminds me of a, a story I heard about a, a person who was at the beach during sunrise, and they were watching the sunrise, and somebody came by and said, what are you doing? And they said, well, I'm waiting for the sun to rise, and they said, it's, it's right there. And, and he said, well, it really needs to be written down for me to trust it and believe it. That sounds silly. But it is absolutely true in our own lives. How many times do we see the miracle of God at work in our own lives and we choose to not see it for what it is? I need somebody else to verify this for me. It's right in front of you. Additionally, well, uh, let's jump right into this. Right now, if you have your device, piece of paper, or a piece of paper and a pen, uh, Write this question down. Ask God to prepare your heart to see Jesus and what he has done. If we need to perceive what God is doing, if we're going to perceive that, then we need experiences with recognizing what God is doing. We need time with the Lord to understand who he is. We're going to deal with this in greater detail when we get to our action steps at the end. Watch what happens to the disciples. They have to trust in Jesus' sufficiency. That um, that's easier said than done. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. Too bad Jesus doesn't know anything about that. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now we don't know. All right, there's the 12 disciples and Jesus. Did they have Orman with them as well? Is it just those guys? Is it just the 13 in there? Well, regardless, uh, they don't have enough for everybody. And who knows? Maybe Peter, he takes more than his, uh, his fair share. I don't know how it works. But we have a concern here. Uh, and they, they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, uh, what are we talking about here? 
Why, why is Jesus saying that? Is he saying that somewhere the Pharisees have this storehouse where they keep leaven and it's really bad, don't use that stuff? Herod has a storehouse and he keeps leaven in there, don't use that kind of stuff, not for your bread. Is that what he's saying? No. Again, this is a euphemism for sin. Uh, when Jesus is talking about leaven here, he's talking about sin, the sin of the Pharisees, the sin of Herod. In this particular place, he's saying that that sin infects uh, not just the Pharisees, but others as well. And it's proof right here. Uh, watch what happened. Jesus is talking about being aware of sin. Be aware of sin. Happened with the Pharisees. What is their sin? Unbelief, denying Christ. And what's their response to that? And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Totally get what you're saying. Did you bring any bread? I didn't bring any bread. Like, just think about the, the, this for a moment, right? Like, in this moment, Jesus is trying to give them a deep spiritual truth based on this relationship that he's had with them, the things that have happened uh, throughout this ministry so far. And in this place, they're like, oh, yeah, good point. Where's the food? Where, what are we going to do here? And Jesus, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Like, what are you doing, guys? You're missing the point. You ever miss the point? Okay, are you sitting by somebody who sometimes misses the point? Don't raise your hand on that one. <laughs> Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, I'm using an illustration. <laughs> Do you not yet perceive? Have you not had enough interaction with me that you get it? Or understand, are you not deep enough in a relationship with me that you would get it? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus is trying to teach a spiritual truth here. And sometimes our, uh, our reality gets in the way. Sometimes when I hear uh, Christians talk about their life, it's like we, we focus on the negative and we miss what God is doing in the midst of all of it. I stopped praying for safety for that reason. I, I'm just not going to pray that prayer anymore. Lord, keep me safe. How about, Lord, whatever happens, help me to experience you. Help me to receive both your grace and your mercy in this place no matter what happens. And if I get a flat, I get a flat. If I go off the side of the road, I go off the side of the road. What I know is that I'm going to find you in these places and in these spaces, and I'm going to experience you in that. It's a, it's a different type of prayer. It takes us out of what's in front of us and into the spiritual reality of what God wants for us in those places. Don't be like the person who says, don't ruin my doubt by truth. 
Did you miss it? Don't ruin my doubt by the truth. Right? The truth is God is present. The truth is uh, God has something in mind. The truth is God can't be exhausted. The truth is God wants you to perceive what has happened and experience a relationship with him in that place. And the truth is God is in control. So right now, if you have your device or a piece of paper, I'd like you to identify some areas of worries and anxieties. So here's why. We're going beyond these physical needs because these physical needs may probably by and large, uh, we don't experience them at the level that, that maybe we used to in the past, certainly here in the United States. I'm not saying that we don't have physical needs. Absolutely, I get it. But I'm saying that there may be greater emotional needs, things that get in our way, relationships that exist, anxieties, worries that happen, that we're in these places of tension where we're going into this desolate region and we need God's provision. And what we offer to him, he can bless. We can be thankful for. And he can multiply. Identify some areas of worries and anxieties as we move into some action steps together. You can start to do this right now. You can also save this for your time with Jesus later. Let's walk through them. Identify some of the greatest needs in your life. So currently, what are some of your greatest needs? Perhaps those greatest needs are financial. Perhaps they're, um, uh, perhaps they're, it's a job. Perhaps it's relational. Perhaps it's emotional. Perhaps it's physical. What are those greatest needs that you have? Just identify those. Write them down. And then stop for a second. Put those needs off to the side and reflect on other times that you have had needs and how the Lord met you. So it's probable that this isn't the first time that you've gone without and God met you. It's probable that this isn't the first time you've gone without a job and in the past, God met you. It's probable that this isn't the first relationship that's gone sideways and God has met you. Reflect on that. It's important that we remember it. And then recognize Jesus as our provider and trust in his provision and give thanks. So what do you have? You open the refrigerator and there's not much there, but thank you, Lord. You go to your work and it's not exactly what you want, but God has provided and thank you, Lord. You recognize a broken relationship and you go, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to walk in fear in this place. I'm going to speak life and truth in this place and in this space. And thank you, Lord. And watch what God will do. Watch his provision because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And what he has is limitless. And it may not happen the way that you think. Two, guard against unbelief by focusing on the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. One of the first things, I, I love this at communion every week, we come together and part of my practice is just going, Lord, I thank you for the cross and sins forgiven. Why do I do that? Well, there are plenty of things to thank God for, but 
if he wouldn't have forgiven me for sin, that I wouldn't be going to the table. You and I would not be going to the table if there was no forgiveness. All of these other things, would, they would come and they would go. There would be nothing in our lives eternal worth, worth noting. But now we have the joy of the Lord. We have salvation. We experience God in some profound ways. So we take time to focus on the truth of who he is and what he has done for us. Take time to consider the names and titles of Jesus. Some examples are Redeemer, Bread of Life, Creator, Son of the Living God, Only Begotten Son, Alpha and Omega. You'll notice that there is a link at the bottom of this slide. I've posted that link on our uh, friendship community page on Facebook so that you can click on it and go right to it. You can also write this down and go to it. Uh, it. It will be a helpful link for you to just look through who Jesus is, uh, what, what his names mean, and how they might apply to our lives. And as we think of who Jesus is, we're better able to trust him in those places that come up that we can perceive and understand. Third, trust in Jesus's sufficiency by surrendering our worries and anxieties to him and trusting in his provision. Trust in Jesus' sufficiency. In other words, he has it all under control. Yes, there may be some things that we'll need to do. We, we want to be faithful to what God is. We don't want to sin. At the same time, uh, the results belong to God. In the end, we can't make anything else happen. You can put out, you can put out your uh, resume, but that doesn't mean anybody's going to hire you. The results are God's. Uh, you can go to that person in humility and in grace and ask for forgiveness for what you've done. But in the end, the results are God's. And we have to trust him in those places because he's sufficient. And we might be surprised to see that the way that he shows up is different than the way that we expected. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out as they're coming out and we prepare our hearts for communion. Uh, I, I want to ask something of you. I, I'm going to ask you to consecrate yourself to the Lord. All of the things that you could be doing, that we could be doing, let's consecrate it to the Lord. I'm not forcing you. If, you, if this isn't for you today, don't stand up. But if you're saying right now that it's good. I have some great head knowledge, but I, I, I want my spirit to reflect what my head knows. And I want to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And I, I want my life to be separated and set apart for his good work. Then I want to invite you to consecrate yourself to him right now. And this is what that would look like if you're willing to stand up. So if you would be willing to stand up, I want to walk through a prayer of consecration. We've done it a couple of times, but I'm going to do it again today. And just this prayer of consecration is to say, Lord, I, I, I belong to you. You are the king, not just of this heavenly kingdom, but you, you're the king of me. You're my king, and I surrender to you today. So let's walk through it. Lord, I consecrate myself to you. I consecrate my mind to you, that I would think on you all day. I consecrate my eyes to you, O oh Lord that I would see you at work in me and through me and around me. I consecrate my nose to you, Lord, that sin would smell like death 
and faith would be the aroma of Christ. Consecrate my ears to you, O Lord, that I would hear your word and respond in faith and obedience. Consecrate my mouth to you, Lord, that I would taste and see that the Lord is good, that I would consume in moderation, and that my words would be words of life. I consecrate my hands to you, O Lord, that I would serve you in all things and that through me you would serve others. I consecrate my feet to you, O Lord, that wherever you lead, I'll follow quickly. I consecrate my life to you, Lord, that I'd be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're seated, I want to remind us that we have communion tables throughout the room. Communion is for the follower of Christ, instituted by Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who reminded us of the gospel, that we're sinners and need a savior, and that God came in the flesh, and his body was broken for us, and his blood was shed for us that we could have the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Friendship, you don't have to be a member of friendship to participate in communion, but you do have to be a follower of Christ. Secondly, we ask you to examine your heart, to ask the Lord to illuminate. I've consecrated myself to you. Are there areas that I'm holding away from you, Lord? Relationships or actions, behavior, that I've been holding uh, away from you and not offering to you? If so, that's called sin. And sin requires confession. We confess it to be sin. And repentance, we turn away from sin and we turn to Christ. At the end of that, you're welcome to go to the station nearest you and get both the bread and the cup and return to your seat and we'll participate together. Join me as we pray. Lord, we love you. And we need you. We are so thankful for your work in our lives. Help us to not walk in unbelief, but in faith. Help us to see you for who you are. That you are the provider. That you guard against unbelief, Lord. That you, you are the one, oh Lord, who we can trust who is sufficient in all things. And so we offer this time to you that you would be exalted and you would be lifted up in Jesus' name.